earth in all dimensions of life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Erica. I want to take a minute and introduce our speaker, Josh Buck. Would you come up here, Josh? So Josh is a church planter. Let me see if I got a filmmaker. All right, I didn't know that. I'm reading this more carefully this time. Um, he's a, a teacher and faith-based entrepreneurial. Josh uh, planted a church in 2010, and uh, you also got your PhD in, uh, let's see, in intercultural studies. Is that right? All right. And so I met Josh at a Mosaic conference a few years ago. Me and Miguel and Andrew, it's Mosaic is a multi-ethnic church planting conference. I met Josh. We hit it off. And uh, I read his book, Everyday Activism, and me and Andrew were conspiring to get Josh to come speak at our church at the right time. And so uh, for Martin Luther King weekend, seemed appropriate for us to uh, hear from him and be inspired to engage from, uh, uh, from the, the, the commands of scripture as Josh has learned to understand them and uh, teach it for us. So Josh, glad you're here, brother. Thank you. Go ahead, yeah. take it away. Welcome, Solano Church. How are we doing this morning? We're doing well? It's good to see everyone. I'm very grateful to be here. Uh, a little bit more about me. My daughter, Ahana, is here, my eldest. You want to just raise your hand? Go. Yeah, I know, like at school right now. I know. My eldest, Ahana, my, my wife isn't here, uh, Diane, and I have two other kids, Anaya and Azariah, 12, 11, and 8. So we're right in the middle of it, and we're enjoying it. We live in Tucson, Arizona. I was born in Texas, grew up in the Northwest, came to California for Bible college, planted an EFCA church in L.A., and um, it's been a whirlwind. Moved around a lot, and I'm so grateful to be here with you. MLK Weekend is a mixed bag, not only for America, but for the church. It's particularly uh, a interesting remembrance for me because when I trace the Buck family coming from Europe to Bucksport, Maine, traveling down through Arkansas, getting to Texas, there are oil men and bookies and entrepreneurs and they started pool halls and I've got traveling preachers on my mom's side in the south literally getting eggs from church members as payment so we could stay at someone's house kind of like we did last night and take flour and eggs and then somebody would make a meal for my great-grandfather. But something else you need to know, my family fought for the Confederacy And so there's a letter that your leaders left in the back, written by MLK, letter from Birmingham prison, where he was in jail, and he wrote this letter primarily to white pastors criticizing a boycott of stores that were not serving the African-American community, and they said, this is unchristian. This has nothing to do with the gospel. And I was sitting in a room in a house I didn't own as a Bible college student reading it, and it was blowing my mind because he, I felt like it was written to me. But it's very important to note, if I was around during that time, my ancestors, my people, not very many generations ago, sitting in a conservative evangelical church, we would have had a problem with Martin Luther King Jr. in that time. 
And we certainly, when, when I say we, this is important. I'm talking about my people, the white church, the evangelical church. I want to, be, if you're new here, this is kind of like a inside conversation. We're glad you're here. But the church hasn't always looked at MLK and said he's a hero. In fact, it's only in more recent history and years that we look on MLK and we honor him in the way that we should, especially the white church, my church. And that's important for us to recognize. And we do need to celebrate what took place and what went on. I want to read some verses as we get into the gospel of Jubilee. So that letter, King Jr. sitting in prison, and he's writing this because, like I said, a group of pastors came together to publish something in the paper saying what King Jr. is doing is wrong. It's disruptive. It's unbiblical. It's not in, it has nothing to do with the gospel. And this is what he wrote. In the midst of injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many pastors say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular. I would encourage you, Google it, pick up a copy in the back. It is an incredible and prophetic letter written to the church. And the question is, how did we get here? Because so many people would say racial injustice and, and economic injustice and immigration issues and whatever social issue you're into has nothing to do with the gospel. It, it, it doesn't fit. And then over here, it's like, well, it has everything to do with the gospel. We have to get into those things. We have to press into those things. We have to preach about those things. Stay out of it. No, engage it. And I want to tell you, as a church set in North America, there are very important historical reasons why there is this divide. And politics, guess what, makes it worse. Just worse. There were two great awakenings here in North America. The first one was underscored by conversion. The gospel was individual people confessing their sin and being saved. Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It was individuals understanding their spiritual need, confessing their need to God, and being pious people that went to church. This was the first great awakening, and this has a big impact on the church. And there was a second great awakening. Interestingly, it was marked by a strong commitment to social activism and social justice. So we have this interesting divide and fracture 
within the trees of denominations and churches that affect people of color. It it affects non-white people just as much because we're here in this culture. And what side are we on? How do we talk about the gospel? And what I want to communicate to you is that the gospel is disjointed. Because when you read the text of scripture, the gospel addresses all of life. All of life. All of who you are as you move in the world and society and culture and everything we build. And what happens is there is this divide where the gospel is about regeneration or piety, righteousness. It's about personal belief, a personal message, personal growth. And then others are like, no, the gospel is about transformation, renewal, justice. It's about the public good, collective responsibility, When I was pastoring in Los Angeles five years into the church plant, after celebrating black history as a church, I met with one of our African-American parishioners. Grew up in Mississippi, ended up in D.C. where he went to Mark Dever's church, kind of like a, a heavy hitter conservative guy that like some pastors know about in here. And he said, you know what, Josh? I didn't know that we were so confused about the gospel because my pastor, he was conservative. He was, he was preaching You need to get saved, you need to get baptized. But you know what? He was visiting prisons during the week. (laughs) If he didn't talk about the real needs of the people in our church, he wasn't a pastor to us. And then I found out in the white churches that there's a big debate over, is it one or the other? And what I want to bring to us this morning is that the gospel is about spiritual life and social flourishing, two sides of the same coin, What I want to do is quickly walk through the text of Scripture looking at one theme, and that is Jubilee. Okay? We're going to start in Leviticus 25. We're going to get to Isaiah 61. We will land in Luke 4. And what I'm going to be arguing for is that Jesus decided to use the biblical theme of Jubilee to unveil the good news, the gospel. And that gospel is about spiritual life and social flourishing. So Leviticus 25, I would encourage you to read this during the week. Every 50 years, God's people were commanded to do this. This is Israel. Release anybody who's a slave. And everybody was allowed to return to the original land their tribe, their family owned. No matter how people ended up in slavery, through fault of their own, no fault of their own, born into it, got into debt and and decided to enter all the reasons why that happened in the ancient Near East, God said, every 50 years, no one is a slave anymore and you can return to your land again, regardless of how you lost it. Second, avoid predatory lending. Those that had the means to push poor people further into debt as they borrow, God prohibited this. In this instance, let the land and the animals rest. Because those who had a lot of land and a lot of animals tended to work the land too hard and the animals too hard. Because if you work an extra day, an extra two days, you make more money. And to reset the real estate prices 
an amen to that for anybody under 35 or 40? Reset the real estate prices. And this was a top-down reordering of Israel's political and economic and social landscape. Top-down. God's saying, do this. Now, I have something to tell you. We never see Israel enacting Jubilee in the Bible. It never happened. Even though God commanded them to do this. Now, we don't know why, but certainly a lot of people had a lot to lose and a lot of people had a lot to gain. And it's telling that even in God's country, God's land, God's people, God's presence in the Old Testament, God's covenant, that he knew things would get so messed up every 50 years, there needed to be a reset. Okay, stick with me. We're going to go to Isaiah 61. You just heard the reading from Isaiah a little bit earlier. Isaiah, in the middle of the Bible, major prophet, incredible book, and there are all these prophecies about Jesus foretelling the king that, would, that was to come. Okay? And we get to Isaiah 61. And something very interesting happens. The prophet Isaiah speaks about the Messiah in light of Jubilee. Did you catch that? Isaiah speaks about Jesus in light of Leviticus 25. That doesn't happen all the time with prophecy. That he's connecting Jesus somehow back to this Jubilee that took place. And here we go reading Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What does that sound like? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the year of the Lord's favor is another way of saying jubilee. So Isaiah foretelling that the spirit of God is going to be on someone and he's anointed to bring good news. What does good news mean, church? Gospel. Thank you. Gospel. Good news is gospel to the poor. Not only this, but to bind up those who are heartbroken. Some of you in your prayer today, as you cried out during our worship, are talking about this. Liberty to the captives. Prisons opening in this year of the Lord's favor. So we hold on to this because it's a precious foretelling of Jesus. In the Old Testament, this top-down reordering of everything that Israel never did, Isaiah captures it, and we don't totally know what it means yet. And then we get to Luke chapter 4. 
And in Luke chapter 4, I want to set the scene really quickly. We have the New Testament, and most of the New Testament are two books, Luke and Acts. These two books make up most of the New Testament, and it's a two-part series. Luke, the first Christian historian, writing a gospel of Jesus and then how the church unfolded. And Jesus is starting his ministry. Verse 16 and 17. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So we have to pause here. Let, 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 let's think of the time. This is in the synagogue. It's much like a church setting of the day. Jesus grew up in that hometown. It was familiar. People knew him. He knew them. He was Mary's kid. Joseph's son had a brother. He's there. And now he is a rabbi or a pastor of the day. Okay, and it's customary for a pastor, just like it is right now, to, you know, have the Bible and, and whether it's handed to them or he opens it, he took Isaiah. And what's interesting, he opened up where? Specifically to what we know as Isaiah 61. Okay, that's important because he got this scroll. It probably would have been big or a part of it. And he's like opening it, Isaiah 61. He picked Isaiah 61 to open up his ministry. To tell everybody who his gospel was. And he connected it to this biblical theme of Jubilee. Verse 18 through 19. Jesus says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are familiar verses. Those who studied Isaiah would have known these verses. And then what did Jesus do? You guys see this? It's crazy. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Okay, that's not what a rabbi is supposed to do. That would be like me as a guest teacher, reading the passage and then just sitting down. And you guys are like, that's not why we brought you here, dude. That's not why, that's not why you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to explain the passage, apply it to our lives, help us grow and learn in the scriptures. Jesus didn't do what he was supposed to do. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, of course. And he began to say to them, what? Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hello. That's not rabbi talk. That's son of God talk. That's son of man talk. That's the I am talk. That's second person of the Trinity talk. That's Isaiah's all about me. Second person of the Godhead in fleshed. Jesus Christ, the son of God, saying that passage, it's being fulfilled in your hearing. 
And let's look at these verses. Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And we see in the gospels that God's spirit, blessed by the Father, descending on the Son, blessing his ministry, anointing him to proclaim good news. Again, gospel to the poor. Now, what does this mean, gospel to the poor? We're on MLK Sunday. We're talking about racial injustice and racial justice and what can we as churches do better Poor for Luke doesn't just mean people without money. It means people who aren't invited to the party. People who cannot get a loan no matter how many banks they go to. People who struggle with some type of disability, mental health challenge, trying to figure out medication. Those of you that had a hard time coming this morning because of all the drama with family and kids and you didn't sleep and addiction issues. Poor means people who are struggling to follow God and find themselves in a broken culture, broken society, hurting communities. And he says, the gospel is for you, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. We see in the ministry of Jesus, he's healing people, restoring their sight. And setting Barabbas, somebody who did not deserve to go free, free. In taking his place. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that is to proclaim Jubilee. Now, Jesus went on to talk about how this good news is going to go out to everybody, not just the Jewish community. And they tried to kill Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. If you read Luke 4, they try to kill him right away. Why? Because this is a radical message. This is a radical gospel. And follow me here. In the Old Testament, Jubilee is this top-down reordering. Economic, social, political. But then Jesus comes and he says, now I'm also going to give a spiritual meaning to Jubilee. Remember, spiritual life and social flourishing, the gospel, spiritual life and social flourishing. There really wasn't much of a spiritual meaning behind the Old Testament. New Testament, he says, now the cross and resurrection is this Jubilee for everyone. And the church is meant to be the community by which Jubilee is enacted. Before, top down. Now, bottom up. The church gets to be the carriers of the gospel of Jubilee in your community and in the East Bay. You follow me? We are all carriers of this gospel message. So before it's disjointed, what is it? And now we understand this holistic gospel. It's addressing the spiritual. It's addressing you as individuals. It's addressing the social. It's addressing all of it, the collective. And no surprise, we see in Luke and Acts this unfold. In Acts chapter, excuse me, in Acts chapter two, we see the church sharing all of their resources together. Jubilee. We see widows not being taken care of properly and the apostles are saying we have to create a new position in the church 
Acts chapter 6, the deacons. We see Paul in Galatians 2 saying, it's not okay to be ethnocentric in church. That's, that's not in keeping with the gospel. That's what he says. And the early church, Solano, the early church, the first few hundred years, the church expanded. Why did it expand? You read any Christian historian, including Luke, one of the main reasons the church expanded was because they cared so fiercely for people who were suffering. People that the Roman Empire did not care about. And it is our job to carry this forward in the places and spaces that you are called to. I want to give a few examples of what this looks like. I've been traveling around a bunch because I, I wrote the book Everyday Activism. And I've been asking churches, what does this look like in your community? And a few churches said some incredible things. There's a small EFCA church in a wealthy suburb of Los Angeles, probably 200 people on a good Sunday. They hired their pastor right before COVID. Good luck, right? Yeah, didn't know what was coming. And they're not meeting on Sundays. They're leasing a space, and so their savings is going down. They're in a really tough spot. And the leaders got together and said, we have to do something. We have to do something during COVID for those who are suffering. There's a lot of racism right now, especially against Asian American markets and, and, and restaurants in our community. And so every week they adopted a restaurant and they said, we're going to send all of our people to use the money that the government is giving us, right? All these like checks that the money gave us during COVID. Take that. Don't just fix up your house or something. Take it. And we're going to go to these restaurants that are closing down. And we're going to say, this is on behalf of the Bridge Church. We love you. And they went every day and bought food from them trying to support that restaurant. This is a bottom-up way to bring the gospel and jubilee to these restaurants. Show them the love of Christ. Another church in Westwood academic setting, UCLA, and this guy planted a church amongst professors and amongst a lot of academic students, and he said, you know what, COVID really messed this up because my people who are generally wealthy are just trying to fill their 401k and max out their savings every year, and, and it really just caused us to have this scarcity thing, and what I'm calling us to do out of the goodness of our heart is an audit of our extra resources, so they sent a spreadsheet out to the church and they said, who has like a cabin that could be free for a weekend? Who has a few extra thousand dollars? Who has like three bikes in their garage that are just there? And they did an audit of their resources. It wasn't mandatory, okay? It wasn't top down, okay? Remember, it's bottom up out of the goodness of our heart. And then the leaders who know the people, their shepherds are connecting a person with a need, and connecting those families together to be that jubilee in community. Two small examples of what this looks like. That's one thing we're going to discuss in the workshop after if you want to join. And it is my encouragement on MLK Sunday to embrace a gospel that is about spiritual life. Don't forget it. The forgiveness of sins. Don't forget it. And about social flourishing. Why? Because when you read Luke 4, both are connected and intertwined. And like staring at one side of the coin, it doesn't make the other side disappear. And like a coin flipping through the air and you kind of see both sides. This is the beautiful 
gospel of Jesus Christ that we bring into the world. And this is why we attune our church to issues of injustice, because the gospel of Jubilee. I have to talk about those in here that are suffering today. I know we're celebrating MLK. There's a lot going on. For those where it is heavy right now for a number of reasons, both church stuff and personal, we need to circle back to the cross. The incredible thing is Jesus was denied jubilee on the cross so that you could receive it. When you think of Luke 4, who was denied that Luke 4 treatment? The Son of God. Jesus did not have rest while he was praying at night before his betrayal. Jesus was not freed from prison while he awaited a sham trial. Jesus did not take wine to lessen the sting of torture on the cross. And Jesus received the justice of God to justify us and to make us, what, a just community. Jesus was denied jubilee so that we could receive it today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what burdens you carry, no matter what is distracting you, no matter what you think about when you wake up in the morning and what bothers you at night. The cross exists as God's act of salvation and solidarity to you. And the resurrection gives you light and hope. And you share that light and hope with each other. <laughs> and we share that light and hope in community. Spiritual life and social flourishing. Before we take communion, I have to land with the brother of Jesus, the book of James, probably the first book to have been written in the New Testament. James 1.27, he says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. I'll read up here. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He sounds a lot like his brother. Pure Christianity is living a pious, holy life, spiritually upright. And what else is it? You get to work in the world and you find the vulnerable in your family, in your community, and you love and you care for them. Two sides of the same coin, not one without the other. What James calls faith and works. Let me pray for us. Christ, thank you so much for bringing us Jubilee. Thank you for carrying that for us, bearing the cross and the shame to grant us the day of the Lord's favor. Please teach us as a church, Holy Spirit, teach Solano how to bring this Jubilee from the bottom up, the goodness of our heart and as an outworking of our salvation. Thank you for this theme of Jubilee that is woven throughout your beautiful scripture. In your name we pray, amen.